make a deal with Netflix and you don't have money that comes into you forever. You get paid and then money 20% more or 30% more, but you that's it. It didn't come natural to me. There's so many things that I think about now I wish I had known when I was younger. What I believe resonates with people who are particularly now is content that has some sort of meaning to it. It's more than just pure entertainment. And so suddenly MTV was the only thing it seemed in the whole world and all of Hollywood and everybody else was taking their cues from this startup. I did not know a single writer when I became a writer. I think if you're trying to become a writer from someplace other than Los Angeles and New York, I still think that's really difficult. Welcome to Entertainment Business Wisdom with your host, Kaya Alexander. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm Kaya Alexander, the host of the Entertainment Business Wisdom podcast. Stoked to be here today with my special guest, Austin Highsmith Garces. She's a, she's a multi-hyphenate. She's an artist, actress, um, published author and illustrator and produced screenwriter. She's best known for the role of Phoebe in the Warner Brothers Alson Alcon Entertainment Films Dolphin Tale 1 and 2, and as Mrs. Ms. Lang in season two of MTV Scream, the TV series. She's produced several of the independent films that she's starred in as well, including several for Lifetime Movie Network. Apart from her on-screen work, she was a stand-up comic for many years. She wrote and sold her first TV feature film, A Country Romance, produced by Danny Roth and starred alongside Jonathan Bennett, which was released on Amazon in 2021. She also co-wrote The Plus One, starring Ashanti and Cedric the Entertainer. Her children's book, The Miracle Tree, about her experience as a young girl, was published in April of 2019. And a native of Winston-Salem, North Carolina, she graduated from the University of North Carolina with a dual degree in fine arts and political science. Austin, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so glad that you're here. You have a really interesting life experience. Were you one of these kids who like knew what you wanted to be when you grew up or did it find you? I actually about seven years old knew that I wanted to be an actor, but I didn't know how to explain that to people because being in North Carolina, you know, all around you are bankers and teachers and um, lawyers and, and people just in the, in the corporate world. And so I didn't understand that being an artist for a living was even an option. Um, but I saw coal miner's daughter with my, with my mom and watched Sissy Spacek just like slay that role. And then I watched, uh, mystic pizza also with my mom. Aww. And when, uh, Julia Roberts was crying, I was fascinated and I got up to the screen and I was like, mom, mom, is there somebody, um, standing above her, like dropping water on her face or do they have a machine in there that's like pumping out the water? And my mom was like, no, honey, she's having an emotion. And I remember thinking, I want to have an emotion. And, um, <laughs> so I went into my bedroom at night and taught myself how to cry on cue when I was about seven years old. And, uh, I, I always knew that I wanted to be an, an actress and an artist, but, um, it wasn't until, freshman year in college 
when I showed my art portfolio and I got into like a senior level printmaking class and my professor pulled me aside and she was like, I know that you're going pre-med. You're not a, you're not a doctor. You're an artist and you need to change your major to, to major in art because that's, this is where your heart lies. And I was like, I don't know, but okay. So I called my dad and he was like, well, if I'm paying for school, you're going to have to have a, a legitimate career path. So I became a political science major as well. So I, I had a double major, but if it wasn't for that professor pulling me aside and like letting me know what she saw in me, I never would have actually pursued a life in, in the arts. And, um, so then it was my, the summer before my senior year, I told a friend that I wanted to be an actress and he said, I want to be a screenwriter. And I said, well, let's move to Los Angeles together after we graduate. And we did. And you did. So you had this calling in you. Oh yeah. I mean, and the, always, I was going to say, yeah. and the fortune of that slender thread in the teacher who saw you like for who you really are. And then that gave you permission. It sounds like to pursue your path. Absolutely. I mean, I've always been an artist. I've, you know, I was, I've been winning art awards since I was in like second grade and it was always such a huge part of my life. And it was, it was, you know, where I went to be a human, you know, instead of an intellectual. And, um, I remember when I, when I, uh, declared that my major was going to be art, my dad said, well, what are you going to do? Sell your art. And then just recently I was doing a bunch of portraits for people. And he said, you should really sell your art. (laughs) (laughs) Dad. (laughs) And of course he doesn't remember that, but I was just like, Oh, the 180. So that's a full circle (laughs) moment for dad. That's so great. What's your, what's your medium? Are you a painter? Um, I have started painting recently. I'm painting for my husband's movie because he, in the, in the movie that he wrote, he's playing a painter. Um, but I'm the painter of the relationship. So I've been forced to, to, uh, pick, pick up a brush for the first time in like 20 years. My favorite medium was, um, always like pencil drawing and printmaking, but it's a little difficult to have a printing press in, um, a condo in Playa del Rey. So it's mainly just pencil drawing. Yeah. (laughs) I, I took up a, um, gosh, a couple of years ago, I took up stone carving. I got really into carving alabaster. I found this wow. teacher in Arizona and drove out to stay with her and started learning alabaster carving. And it is fantastic. It's so fascinating. It's a very soft stone. And what's so cool about it, if you allow me to geek out on this for a second, is that when you, you can carve it into shapes like bowls and it has a translucency to it. So you can put a candle in it and it glows like the moon and there's all these incredible colors of it. You know, there's pink and green and white and gray. And like, it has these fabulous fissures through it. And it's just super fascinating and I miss it. Um, but it's all to say that it requires um, sanders and sanders are loud. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, when I get some property, I'm going to have some space to have a, <laughs> a shed, the art shed where I can be as loud as I want. You know, <laughs> That's me. I, I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to build my own outdoor kiln and I'm going to have a, a potter's wheel and all that kind of stuff. And by the way, just from the side, like I need to start a podcast just to interview you because your <laughs> life is so interesting. <laughs> Wow. I love, thank you for that compliment. That's so kind. I mean, who I drives to Arizona it. to carve alabaster? Like, I've never... 
I've, I've always been kind of, you know, fall, chasing my fears, you know, in that sort of artistic way that I've recognized what I'm afraid of, whether it's surfing mm. or being on stage or any of the weird stuff I've done, like starring in a magic show or anything else and just going, oh, I'm terrified of this. Oh, that means I should do it. You know, <laughs> I think you've got to have a bit of that in you for the movie business. There's Absolutely. so many things we have. You have to build up that courage to throw yourself at it over and over. Um, so, you know, you've done some fantastic films, some really interesting roles. I, I will never forget crying my eyes out in Dolphin Tale. It's just one of the biggest tear jerkers ever. Uh, and I mentioned to you in a DM before we got on that I used to work for Ashley Judd. And yeah, it's yeah. so fun that you got to be on set with some of these fantastic, uh, legendary performers. I want to hear how you got to the place in your career where you're starring in movies of the caliber like that one. Well, that one, I, I just auditioned for, like, you know, everybody else did. And, and apparently they, they saw over three or 400 girls for the role. And, um, I had an agent at the time who just really would fight to get me into rooms that I had absolutely no business being in. Uh, and she was very successful at that. And I had a, my acting coach who I still work with and actually work for now. Cause I'm, I'm also an acting teacher. Um, I went and coached with him before the audition and he was like, so I want you to go home and spend at least an hour watching videos on YouTube of actual animal trainers and, you know, the, the whale trainers and dolphin trainers and all that kind of stuff. So I did. And you get a whistle? <laughs> no, I, well, I had a whistle cause I was a lifeguard for, <laughs> I mean, a gajillion years. And I think I actually might've uh, worn that around my neck in the audition, but I, I went into the audition with a pair of ratty shorts, uh, old beat up t-shirt uh, or uh, tank top and flip-flops and my hair up in a ponytail. And every single other girl in the waiting room was in a sundress and heels with like their hair down and curled in a full face of makeup. Ah. And I was like, dude, I blew it. I <gasps> blew it. And I, I mean, I just left there knowing that there was just no chance in that I got that at all. And, you know, then I saw in the trades that it had been offered to Hillary Duff and it was offered to Hayden Panettiere. And I was like, oh man, I really wanted to be in that movie with Harry Connick Jr. But oh well. And then, um, I, <laughs> I was on, um, I got the call. Uh, I was at, I was at lunch with a friend and, um, my agent called and said, can you get down to Alcon entertainment? And I was like, what is that? And she was like, it's that company that's doing dolphin tail. Can you get down there and like meet with them in about an hour? And I was like, about what? And she was like, I don't know. And so I went down there and he, and the guy I met with Steven Wegner kept saying, you know, when you get to Florida, when you get to Florida. And I'm thinking, why am I going to Florida? What's happening? You know, but I was too scared to ask him if that meant that I got the role because I was, I mean, it's, it's, it's all that I wanted because it combined swimming and acting, two of my biggest passions. Hmm. And I was in a play at the time I was doing Ar Arthur Miller's all my sons. I was playing Annie. And, um, so he was like, can you know, can you leave tomorrow? And I was like, I can't. Cause I'm also doing an episode of castle right now. And I've got to finish filming that. Um, but they said that I had to go meet the dolphin first in order to actually get the role. Because if winter didn't like me as her trainer, there was just no way that it, my role was going to work. Um, but luckily she did. And, um, and I got the role. <laughs> you were cast in the movie by the dolphin. Yes. No, and good also job, the director, Winter. Yeah, exactly. And the, the director said that I was the only girl out of all 400 that came in that didn't look like she would die if she touched a dead fish. Because I, I came in 
in my ratty tank top and shorts and everybody else just came in looking glam, you know, and, and I looked like an actual dolphin trainer. That's the power of that research. You knew what to do. You followed, you you did the research, you followed your instincts, and then you had to second guess yourself because you're the only one, you know, in that whole herd who, who did that. So that's fascinating. Yeah, it was crazy. And also like the, the associate said to me, tell us about your swimming. And I was like, well, I'm not really happy with my mile time right now. Like, I think it could be better. I'm trying to drop like five minutes from it. And and he just kind of looked at me and glazed over. And I was like, oh, you mean, can I swim? Oh yes. Yes. We're fine. (laughs) (laughs) Like, tell us about your endurance, athletic swimming. (laughs) I mean, the look on his face, I'll, I'll never forget it. He was just like, and I was like, okay, oh no, that's fine. You you want to know if I'm going to drown? No, I'm not going to drown. Not going to drown. What's your favorite? <laughs> what's your favorite stroke? Distance free. I love just getting in and just like swimming a couple miles. Like, yeah, if I can. I mean, right now my shoulder is all is all jacked up, but it, yeah, I can't wait to get back into the pool. This is what I'm about to learn. I, I I'm a I'm a breaststroker, which is <laughs> not great with the surfing. I do not go well together. <laughs> I'm a little, a little discombobulated out there today though. It was swim for your life, you know, and, and double overhead waves that come down. They sound like bombs detonating behind you when they hit that hard and you just have to bail your surfboard and swim like hell to the wave, to the mouth of the wave that's coming down your head and dive down right under it. And it was just today that I was going, okay, I'm committing. I am committing to getting in the pool. I've got to learn the freestyle, you know, better than I know it. Uh, It was funny. We were in, you'll, you'll appreciate my little swimming story. My son is 10 and we were, I took him to Maui for the first time this year. We've been cooped up in the house for years and uh, we went snorkeling and the snorkel guide abandoned us. We went kayak snorkeling. He ankled, anchored the, the kayaks and led us like all the way toward this reef where these turtles were and left. And so it was me and my kid. And we were, you know, probably four, 300 yards ish away from the kayaks. We had no idea where the guide was. The wind kicked up. And I, as I've mentioned, I'm a breaststroker. So I was like, I think, you know, my, my kid got tired. He's like, I can't go on. And I'm going, oh my God, you know, what am I going to do? And I remembered in my head, we have, a, we have a bunch of Navy SEALs in our neighborhood. And my son's dad loves learning from them because he's a swimmer. So he was telling me, that their, their, their overhand crawl, I guess it is the crawl. Mm -hmm. Um, they actually kind of turn sideways as they go into the next stroke, they really turn sideways. So I was like, if that's going to help me get a little more distance to get back to the kayaks, I'm going to try it. So I'd put my son on my back and try to do this crawl stroke that I don't really know, but it was the sideways part that gave me a couple extra inches or a foot of reach, uh, to get back to the kayaks. But boy, was that a crazy experience making it all the way back. I'm reminding myself of my commitment to become a better swimmer. And your story is inspiring. Look at that. You could swim. The dolphin fell in love with you. Did you fall in love with the dolphin? She's so awesome. Oh my gosh. How absolutely. Could you not fall in love with her? I mean, it's, it's so weird that I have had like interpersonal relationships with dolphins. I mean, that's just who gets to say that. And, you know, unfortunately we lost winter last year. She had a, um, uh, yeah, she, because of the, the abnormality in her peduncle, which is the the part of her, um, her, so her tail flukes obviously, uh, fell off. Yes. I remember. And then the like bump on the back of her tail, right. From the awkward swimming. 
Right. So she had scoliosis in her peduncle and it kind of shrimped under. And because of that shrimping motion, it, it, um, twisted her intestines and also because of her, her disability, they were unable to surgically operate on the, on the twist. And so she died of sepsis last November 11th. Honey. Yeah. But there's still several dolphins there that I, I know and love. And, um, there's, there's one boy dolphin named Nicholas that I, I swear was like the high school quarterback of the football team. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I was just down there, um, filming a movie that I co-wrote in, uh, in April. And I went by to see them and, and Nicholas came over and flipped on his back and like, you know, put his little rostrum up. And I was like, Oh my gosh, he remembers me. You know? yeah, so they do. Really cool. They remember yeah. us. I go surfing at this one spot where the, uh, there's like a, I want I want to say he's a, a grandma, a grandpa. I'm not sure, uh, what he is, but he always <laughs> comes over. He's a super scarred Pacific bottle nose and mm-hmm. you know, it's a lot lighter gray than the others. And you can just tell he's lived a life and he always recognizes me knows my board. He always comes over. We always catch waves together. I have memories of, you know, him being right next to me, jumping out of the water and they just, they know us. It's amazing. Cause they come by and they look at you, you know, yeah. like, hi, they see you out of the water, you know, their eye comes by and they turn on their side so they can look through the, through the water column and see it. And I'm always glad when they're there. Cause that means there's not going to be sharks. Yeah. Well, they're, they're also guaranteed they're, they're echolocating on you and they know exactly what you know, the insides of your body look like. So that's also how they can identify you as well. Isn't that amazing? I've heard they can tell if you're, if you're pregnant, they can see. Yeah. A lot of the dolphin trainers will find out that they're pregnant from the dolphins that they're working with before they've ever Mm -hmm. taken a test. From the dolphins who are like, mm-hmm. we could have a gender reveal party for you because we know. <laughs> I mean, they they all just talk about how they'll come and they'll push their melon right up against their belly and just like stay there. And they're like, oh boy, I think I need to take a test. <laughs> so great. Oh, you must have had so much fun uh, filming those movies. You were in Dol- uh, the Dolphin Tale 1 and 2. Tell us a fun story. Oh my goodness. Um, so many, but probably one of my favorite experiences because I'm such a, I was such a good swimmer at the time and, and the kids in the movie weren't, they asked me to train their underwater ballets for the kids with winter. Um, so after working every single day, I would go at like at night, your night swimming under like a full moon with dolphins. It was just crazy. And so I was helping to train winter to like be motivated to go to a certain part of the pool and look like that it was her idea. And so they were really trying to figure out how, and they, they call it when, you know, when you put up your hand, they call it targeting so that she would come and put her rostrum right in your, in your palm. That's what they're trained to do. Um, but they weren't able to figure out how to, cause obviously you can't like bridge with the whistle under the water because you know, that doesn't work. So I was sitting on the bottom of the pool about, you know, 14 feet down And I snapped my fingers, which makes a noise under the water, but the camera cannot hear it because, you know, you can't hear that under the water, but I did that. And she came right to my hand and the trainers were like, how did, how did you do that? And I, I discovered for them that this was a way of communicating under the water with the dolphins that they had never known before. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm in a command. Are you kidding me? I spoke to a dolphin. It was like, it was the coolest it was the coolest thing. And then that's how they used, um, I mean, they use that to motivate the dolphins for the rest of dolphin tail one and all of dolphin tail two. That's incredible. That is really so cool. cool. <laughs> that moment of intuition is like, you knew what to do. Yeah. I mean, and they're just, 
I got to swim laps with winter. I was the first human being to ever swim laps with her. I did butterfly with her back and forth to help her with her tail movement because she was, she was mimicking me with the dolphin stroke and with a dolphin kick rather. And, um, I was also the only non-professional trainer to ever put and take off her, her fake tail. So, I mean, just so many life-changing experiences that like only I got to do out of all of the actors in the world, just me. It's, it's, it's the wildest thing. I have chills. I mean, that in some capacity sounds like it was your destiny. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it just, I, I, I'm so grateful that there's video footage of it because if you told me that I'd I'd be like, I don't think, I don't think that actually happened. It was like out of body experience where you're like, (laughs) I can't believe this is happening. (laughs) Like, I think this is, this is a dream. I'm getting paid to swim with dolphins. And I told the producers after the second one was done, I was like, you know, I would have done this for free. Right. (laughs) They were like, now you tell us. Okay. I want to geek out on some of the scene work, you know, in terms of your acting and shooting with, you know, shooting with animals is it can always be unpredictable and you've got the water component. Did you guys have a window in the pool where the cameras could be like dry or were you like, were they using housing and dropping into the pool with you guys? Yes. They were using full waterproof housing for, for the cameras. And so the, the difficult thing is, is that dolphins are very curious animals. Yeah. So they actually had to desense them for about nine months prior to filming. So they would, they sort of did like these big makeshift, um, camera, uh, like ceiling things that were made out of just PVC piping and like, you know, spray painted black and like all of these random things. Um, to try to get them used to having these really large and, and on dolphin tail one, we were also shooting 3d, which made the casing even bigger or the housing even bigger. Yeah. And so, uh, and they were also having to like run wires through the water and all of these things, um, to, to desense the dolphins. So that when we were filming, they wouldn't spend their entire time just like, you know, echolocating and, and, you know, weirding out on all of the camera equipment. So we actually, yeah. So we had to, um, and every time that that the underwater camera um, guys would would drop in, and we had this amazing Bob Talbot who has done like if you've ever seen like the um, pictures with like the whale cresting out of the water. Oh, Bob says, Talbot like, is is legend. I mean, legendary. legend photographer. Yes. <laughs> he was on the he was on the shoot for this. He was our underwater photographer. No. Our cinematographer. What yeah. is your underwater DP? I don't believe it. I love <laughs> yeah. those pictures. Even as a child, I thought I was going to be a marine biologist when I was a kid. So I had his, his pictures were plastered all over my bedroom as a little girl. Yeah. And he could not be nicer. And he's just, he's so amazing. And, you know, he's doing all these like dolphin um, documentaries and like Bimini and all these things. And then he just comes and and films our little our little movie with us. And, um, but every time they would drop in, uh, winter didn't really care. She was just kind of like, I'm, I know I'm, I'm the star here. I'm supposed to be on camera. But Hope, <laughs> Hope was a different story. Hope would always be like, what are you? What are you? What are you? And so we would have to like, we called it shiny things. We would have to like allow about five minutes of shiny things for, for Hope. And then she would get bored and come back over. Um, but that was every single time they dropped in, we had to let Hope you know, play around. Cause she was like a little girl dolphin, you know, she was just, just a baby. They're so curious <laughs> about all what was happening in her world. Yeah. It's fascinating. I mean, it, and there's so, there's so much depth and beauty to those stories. You know, the fact that, um, you know, these, these movies, which normalize prosthesis, 
Mm -hmm. know, especially for kids who've lost limbs and things like this and show how you can overcome and, you know, the the tearjerker element where it's just so happy, you know, that that healing and um, the compensation and everything that these characters had to go through. And it is based on her true story, correct? Yes. uh, And and Dolphin Tale 2 is also based on the true story. So it's the only Hollywood um, true story with a sequel because that just doesn't happen. They actually, yeah, they actually rescued Hope the day, December 11th, the day that we were wrapping Dolphin Tale 1 is when they, they rescued Hope. So I actually got to watch her be, you know, they, they transported her, transported her from the East coast of Florida. So I got to watch her be taken out of the ambulance and like rushed up to the pool and lower down in the stretcher. And the first time in the water with human beings trying to bottle feed her. Cause she was a baby. I mean, she was three months old wow. and, and they um, don't often make it. No, they really, they really don't. And she was speed swimming for like the first day. And that's a really bad sign because they mm-hmm. they exhaust themselves. They, they get dehydrated because if they're not bottle feeding, the, uh, dolphins get their hydration from the fish that they eat or their mother's milk. And so they, they do a, a concoction of, uh, milk and fish and all this kind of stuff when they're, when they're still bottle, bottle feeding them. Um, but to, uh, to your point about, you know, it inspiring kids, you know, I, I, I teach acting. And one of the first questions that we ask them when they first come to the first come to the school is what is your ultimate goal with this? And about 90% of the students say that they want to make something, a piece of art that changes somebody's life. And I've gotten to do that two times over. When I tell you that millions of children and veterans and, and people with disabilities and, um, people with limb differences, people going through cancer treatments, whatever, have been inspired by that movie. I'm not exaggerating. It's literally all around the world. We, um, the, the two kids who are not kids anymore, Nathan and Cozy um, and myself got to be ambassadors for the Clearwater Marine Aquarium for about five or six years, right before the pandemic. The pandemic kind of ended all of that. Mm-hmm. But we would go down there several times a year, two or three times a year, and meet these kids who I'm going to cut that, that the movie just ch- absolutely changed their life. And, um, knowing that I got to be a part of something that helps somebody through the darkest period of their life. I don't know that there's anything else that I could hope for from this career. That is the ultimate prize knowing that I got to tell a story that helps somebody, especially children through the hardest struggle that they will ever go through. It's, it's such a blessing to be a part of. Oh my gosh. I just have to look at that <laughs> land. That's so beautiful. Um, to have that sense of purpose inside of the types of stories that we tell I, I, in so, some capacity, I feel like sometimes we use media to spread darkness at the speed of light. And it's just so much better when we use, you know, it to spread <laughs> light at the speed of light. I mean, look at what's possible, you know, the transformation yeah. of people's lives. Uh, that's so, and it, it sounds like it transformed your life too. It absolutely did. And I mean, I mean, I am not the same person at all. And also I met my absolute best friends in the entire world through working on that movie. I mean, I know that it sounds cliche that we all got along, but out of 300 people, we all got along and almost every single person from the crew, the entire cast, but almost every single person from the crew also came back for the second movie. And the only people who didn't, it's because they were on another job. I mean, everybody just clamored to come back because Okay. So I have another story. Um, when we were making dolphin tail two, we, we, we knew a little bit about the impact of dolphin tail one, but we didn't know exactly just how far reaching it was. 
And we were in the middle of a shoot day. It was a Wednesday afternoon about like two o'clock. We had just had lunch and there was a little girl from Switzerland named Zoe who has, who had neuroblastoma, which is blood cancer. And, um, it was part of her make a wish that she wanted to meet the little dolphin that was supposed to die that didn't. And so they called us on that Wednesday afternoon and they said, we know Zoe is supposed to come um, on Saturday, but we don't know if she's going to make it that long. Is there any way she could come tonight? And the people at the aquarium were like, absolutely. No problem. You know, she can come tonight. No problem. They called back five minutes later and they said, can she come now? We don't know that she's going to make it until tonight. And they went to the director, Charles Martin Smith, and the, and the producers, and they asked, and they were like, absolutely. So literally, all 300 people of the crew and all of the cast got to watch this little four-year-old girl who had flown in from Switzerland get to fulfill her dying wish of meeting this dolphin. And there was not a dry eye in the entire house, the entire crew, everybody, the, like the hardened grips who've been doing this for you know 40 years, everybody was crying because they realized that this was so much bigger than all of us, that we were literally changing people's lives with our work. And I don't know that there can be any moment more precious than that. And Zoe passed away the next morning. The next morning. You yeah. guys would bring her that, that wish and that joy and that connection. Was the dolphin <laughs> connected to her? Oh, absolutely. Winter was so amazing with everybody because she just you know, she was so intuitive because that's how dolphins really are. Um, everything that you hear about them is it's true. They're just really magical, unbelievable, uh, animals, but mainly winter because she, she herself, she just got it on a different level. She, it was always like with the special, the special animals. She just, I mean, the special, um, children and people, she just knew, she knew exactly what her purpose was and why she was there. And she was always so amazing with them. And, you know, just like did her little like Tweety Bird sound and then did all of her cute little spins and, and everything like that. Um, and she always did that. Oh, I miss that dolphin. Like she knew, I mean, she just knew that's so beautiful. I, I have led and in, in, in the future, I'm leading more wild dolphin swim trips down in the Bimini area. And there, some of the greatest moments of my life have been when the dolphins who could be anywhere in the entire ocean choose to come and hang out and <laughs> they just want to hang out. You know, the teenagers love it when you pull out the scooter and get zippy and they get, oh, they get so excited. And yeah. <laughs> um, sometimes the moms will just come in and, you know, come in close. And I learned from them the slow blink, like the slow blink that you can even do with your cats where you close your eyes kind of slow and then open them. And that just really shows trust. And then they'll come closer. They'll be like, oh, you're cool. We can, you know, establish trust and to establish trust with a wild animal like that is like the most phenomenal feeling I, I just about have ever known in my life. I mean, I've had wild dolphins swim into my arms for a belly rub down there and on and wild and you're going, what? Yeah. And they're like, hi. And they're, you know, <laughs> their bellies are pink. Cause yeah, that's excited. how you know they're excited and when they're, they're like, pink. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> going what? But on some level, they have to know. I mean, here we are, like we're the most violent species that, you know, planet Earth has ever known. But, you know, in those moments, there's something like you use the word intuitive. There's something intuitive that that happens where you just feel like this is my ocean, my ocean cousin. Um, mm -hmm. And it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful feeling. I think if I had a week left to live, I'd say, let's go down to spend time with the wild <laughs> dolphins. <laughs> you know, They're so much smarter than us. 
I mean, they, they, their brains are so much bigger and their cranial folds are, are so much more complex and they have m- many more th- uh, than we do. I think the only thing that they don't have that we do is opposable thumbs. Oh. And if they had those, they would take over the world. They would like, be building <laughs> castles under the water or something. But um, That's I do their intelligence though, because they're like, we're going to yeah. choose no war and <laughs> yeah. peace, <laughs> happiness, <laughs> surfing. You know, the smartest I do wanna... creatures in the world are like, we like to go surfing what can we say (laughs) (laughs) i do want to i do want to say to like put this out there uh you know for anybody listening about wild dolphins please do not feed them oh they 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 know how to eat they have a very very high grade sushi diet of live fish (laughs) and then also if you see a dolphin stranded please don't try to push it back into the ocean dolphins strand for a reason they strand when they're sick they're strand when they're um in distress when they've, when they've had sort of like a sonar blast disorient them, um, call your local stranding line. If you call 911, they will be able to give you the local stranding line, or it'll, you'll, it'll be very easy for you to find call the animal stranding line because they're going to know what to do. They're going to either be able to, um, rescue the dolphin and rehabilitate it and then re-release it, or they're going to be able to treat it right there with antibiotics or some type of, um, you know, medical, uh, attention. Don't ever try to put a dolphin that has stranded back into the water because you're actually just setting them up to die. Yeah. They could have other issues that need to be treated like infection, right? A hundred percent. And I mean, they, they strand for a reason. They strand to ask for help. That's how smart they are. They know. That's phenomenal. Yeah. And there's to, to tag on to that, the Marine Mammal Protection Act forbids us from getting, I think it's hundred feet, hundred yards of any of the marine mammals. Uh, the only exemption to that is if they come to you, if they yes. choose to come toward your boat or toward you, if you're swimming in the water, um, then that's a different story. And, and, oh, we've never chased dolphins ever in any of the boats yeah. I've ever been on. We've always just been there and been available. And then they've chosen, Hey, I want to play. Hey, we feel like playing. And when they're done playing, they're they're gone. You don't even see yeah. them disappear. They're like, we're out of here now. Thanks for, thanks for the fun <laughs> time at the park. <laughs> yeah. And then if you do see them strand, wet some towels and put the towels over their skin so they don't get sunburned, and but make sure that you don't put it over their blowhole or their eyes. Cause they'll get, they'll get afraid. And if you put it over their blowhole, they can't breathe. But other than that, just, you know, call the stranding line and put some wet towels over them. Yeah, not a time for selfies people. Yeah. And or like, you know, <laughs> grabbing them, you could break their, their, um, peck fins and all that kind of stuff. It's, they're very fragile. Uh, their peck fins are very fragile. He becomes such an expert. You must've really loved, <laughs> loved all of that. You're so intelligent. I bet you really enjoyed learning everything that you did about them and being with them and those pri- those precious moments. What city is the, um, Marine Mammal Center in that you guys filmed in where winter was? It's the Clearwater Marine Aquarium in Clearwater Beach, Florida. So, um, it's actually a functional animal hospital. It's not, um, it's not what you would think of as like a traditional aquarium. They don't have, they don't breed in captivity there. I was thinking of it as a rescue center. Is that right? It is. It yes. Is. So the only animals that are permanent residents there would not survive in the wild. So like, you know, um, turtles that have been hit by boats and they've lost a, a fin or they have an air bubble, um, sharks that, you know, idiot scuba divers were like, look, baby shark. I'm going to put this baby shark in my, in my fish tank, not realizing that they grow to three or 400 pounds. Um, and all of the, all of the dolphins that are there were either, um, abandoned as orphans like hope and like winter was and Apollo, the, the newest little baby dolphin there. Um, 
or their senior citizens um, who uh, turn into what they call beggar dolphins, where they have been fed by people in, right. um, you know, off the boats. And so they don't, they no longer know how to, how to hunt for themselves or they're actually deaf. So they can't hunt because their echolocation doesn't work. Their sonar doesn't work. So they're unable to, to find food. So that's what causes them to be beggar dolphins. And oftentimes because they're spending so much time at the surface, they go blind, they have sunburn. Um, so those like, so Hemingway and PJ are our two oldest dolphins. I love how I said our, like I have anything to do with it. Um, they were the older dolphins at the, at the Clearwater Marine Aquarium and, and, uh, PJ is deaf and Hemingway it was a beggar dolphin. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. I, I want to be able to have time in here to talk about how this work inspired your own work because you're multi-hyphenate, you're writing, you're producing. How has this informed the types of stories that you care about telling now? Oh my goodness. So I'd, I've known for a really long time that I wanted to be a producer because um, I'm a control freak. <laughs> so I like I like having my say in, in, in all of the different um, avenues, but not to, not to the regard that like, I don't let, um, that I, you know, that I'm, I'm, uh, micromanaging at all. I really, I really love, um, just the, the creation of the world of, of producing and then enabling the professional artists around me to really be able to do their job to the best of their ability. Um, and that's the greatest thing about, about writing for me as well is, sitting down in front of a computer, having a world and these characters that exist only in my head, putting them on a page and then watching other extremely talented professional artists bring the vision that only lived in my head into life. And, and, you know, the sets and the costumes for me are like what blows my mind every time I'm like, wait a second, you put clothes on that person. They only lived in my head. That's so crazy. But, um, what I, I think my favorite part of all of it is that uh, when I, whenever I write and I'm fortunate enough to sell that product, I get to create hundreds of jobs for other people. And that to me, there's just kind of no greater feeling than knowing that I was a part of helping another person's dream come true. Um, and I really, I, um, a lot of the stuff that I'm writing right now, and I, I mean, I have stuff from every single genre, but a lot of the stuff that I'm writing is uh, comedy or romantic comedy. I just think that right now the world needs to laugh. And, so, <laughs> um, and so that, that's what makes, uh, what I do so much fun. Um, you know, I was a stand-up comic for about four or five years and that was absolutely terrifying. And I never want to do that again in my entire life, <laughs> but, um, it got me started writing and it, and it started, uh, my writing, uh, of jokes and comedy and stand and, you know, set up and, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm very grateful for that time of my life because it did give me a lot of, uh, knowledge on, on like how comedy works and how to like deliver a joke or land a joke. Um, but yeah, I never, I never, ever want to be on stage as a standup again. Uh, the last standup set I did, my brain kind of erased it. And I was like, I think that's trauma. Um, so, yeah. yep, the only way to erase that is to get back on stage and do it again. <laughs> I, I did it like, for four years. No, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's and so also, hard. It's so hard. I've done yeah. some stand up as well, and it is, it is 
absolutely brutal. And when you're slaying, it's amazing. But like my yeah. eyes, when it, when it's just dead air out there and you're not landing and it's like you're continuing to bomb and then the bomb is just rolling downhill. Yeah, that's <laughs> the worst feeling in the world. Oh my God. I've gotten off stage and been like, I had self-esteem before now. Yeah. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> I feel like I'm in the third grade again right now. <laughs> you're like, not only do I feel like I'm a bad stand-up, I think I'm also a bad person. I think that like that... <laughs> that set established that I'm also, I should just, you know, dig a hole for myself, <laughs> but yeah, it's, um, I, I like, I like writing, uh, features and, and other kind of things like that much better than I did, um, than I did stand up. And also in four years of stand up comedy, I made a whole $20. So it didn't really <laughs> seem sustainable <laughs> financially either. <laughs> hey, tell me how your, your knowledge as an actress is informing your writing and your scene work. Um, so it, I, I definitely feel like that it's, it's my strength because I'm able to get into the headspace of these different characters, um, really easily because of all of the, the acting that I've done throughout the years, I'm able to really go, okay, so what would this character's relationship be to X, Y, Z? How would they respond to, to this stimulus? Like what would they do in this situation and, and really get into the other people's, um, head spaces. And so, um, also with dialogue, because I've said so much terrible dialogue in my day, I'm able to go, okay, would I be able to actually say this? And like, I will, I will very frequently after I've finished writing a scene, go back through and read it and, and think, you know, is an actor going to be able to say these words comfortably, or is this going to be just, you know, mush mouth, um, for them. And, and to that regard as well, when we get on set, if an actor is like, Oh, I think it's easier if I say it this way, or, you know, I had a thought about doing this instead. I'm like, cool, great. Whatever, whatever works for you, because ultimately they're the ones who are breathing life into this. Um, and so I love that collaboration of, of having them be able to bring themselves to the roles as, as well. Um, but at, like, especially for writing dialogue, I find that me coming from an actor, Acting background is so, so beneficial. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I encourage the writers who I know to take acting classes, you know, for that reason, to climb into it, you get a better sense of who the characters are and on how to write for them. Make sure that some of those lines, it seems like a lot of times a mistake I'll see is that like one character will have very similar things to say going down the page. And it's very mm -hmm. hard to remember, you know, with the cues coming in of like, but I said it this way last time, how am I supposed to say it this time? I've had actors ask, you know, Hey, can we rewrite this a little bit? So that's easier to get through. And, um, and writers who maybe haven't been on set yet may not necessarily know that. Yeah. Cause it sounds great in their head. And then ob obviously in real life, we do repeat ourselves very frequently. And, um, especially if we're trying to get a point across and the other person isn't picking up on it. But, um, a lot of that can be sort of eliminated when you realize that the audience is a lot smarter than you think that they are. Um, so you can, you can, you know, truncate the scenes and get in, um, later and leave, leave earlier so that you're not, you know, dragging a scene on. It doesn't, you don't have to see everybody enter the room. You don't have to see everybody exit the room, you know, because mm -hmm. the, just, just have the meat of that scene and then, and then, you know, keep the audience hanging because they're going to be bored if they're ahead of you. Absolutely. I, I asked this question of all my guests and I'm curious what it is for you in the entertainment business school. I'm always teaching my students, find your wolf pack. Nothing in this industry happens when you're lone wolfing, when, when you're by mm -hmm. yourself. Austin, who's in your wolf pack? 
<laughs> well, definitely my husband. Uh, we met backstage at, at the theater that I'm a founding member of down in Santa Monica, the Ruskin Group Theater. Um, and then just a lot of people from that theater as well. And then I found um, that, you know, each project, each movie that you do, each television series that you do, you may pick up like one or two people that come become part of your crew as well. Dolphin Tail was the, obviously the exception because we, we keep in touch with almost every single person um, from that movie. Uh, both cast and crew, but you know, you really find the, the artists that you click with and you got to hold on to them. You got to make sure that you're, you know, that you're reaching out, not, not to gain something, but to actually have a human connection because you guys are going to need each other, you know, and the dark nights of the soul, which happen all too frequently in this business. Like you got to have the, the people that are in the, the, in the trenches with you that can remind you, no, you've done this before. This is just, you know, this is just the the famine part of the feaster famine. It's going to come around. It's if you're you're going to work again, it's going to be okay. Let me remind you of your worth. Let me remind you of all the things that you've done, and that, and, and of who you are. Um, so a lot of the people from from the Ruskin Group Theater for sure. Um, a bunch of different people from from movies that I've done. I've just I've just really held on to them. Um, I just finished a, a short film that I'm really, really, really proud of. It just finished post. It's called Thanks for Nothing about mental health and grief. Um, and I met most of those people through a play that I did down at the Newport Harbor High School. And then our director that I had done on, uh, I had done a, a pilot presentation with. And I just, mm -hmm. I just kept these, these artists that I just loved so dearly and wanted to continue to tell stories with. Is your husband who you bring your writing to first? Oftentimes. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's, he's extremely busy because he's, he just is a jack of all trades. There's like literally nothing that he's not good at except for like telling direction and closing cabinets. Um, but, um, everything else he's like, you know, great at, and he's doing all the time. So I, you know, I, I try to get him to read my stuff, but, um, actually my mom, I, I have my mom. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want, I want most of my stuff to be as G rated as possible so that my mom can, can enjoy it as well, because I, I'd like to say that she's allergic to cursing, but, um, she, I have her also proofread it because she was a grammar teacher for 45 years. So I, I send it to her. And then I know if my mom can understand the story and if she's responding to the story, then it's going to be okay. Because like Aww. she, my mom is like that person who literally figured out usual suspects in like the first 15 minutes of the movie. She goes, Oh, that's Kaiser Sose. And we were like, what? And then we got to the end and we were like, how did how like, <laughs> that's, that's her. So I always, I always like to run stuff by her because she's just that person who figures everything out right from the beginning. And if she's like, Oh no, I knew this was happening too soon. I'm like, okay, cool. I got to go back to the table. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that. So you're integrating mom's notes. Yeah. <laughs> that's so awesome. <laughs> I, I, my mom also reads a lot of my scripts, the ones that aren't too sexy. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's fun to get to share those with her. Cause she's, you know, she's the audience. She doesn't know. So when she reads something, if it doesn't make sense to her or if she loves it, it's a pretty good marker. My parents yeah. um, are been married almost 30 years and every single Friday for the entire marriage, except during the pandemic, they have gone to the movies. They're at the movies right now. Oh my gosh, I <laughs> they're, love seeing, that. they're seeing Top Gun on <laughs> opening weekend. <laughs> I love Friday. that so much. It's like so great. You know, it's Ugh. even with, you know, when you have family, I think a lot of us get into this industry as orphans in a way we're like, maybe we don't have a lot in common with our family, mm -hmm. 
But then we have movies, we have, mm-hmm. you know, TV, we have this, the, the language of screen, which everyone speaks. I had a very difficult relationship with my father's kind of the understatement of the century. But, you know, his happy place was that he had grown up in L.A. He went to Hollywood High School and um, he he loved the movies. He loved those the old movies. I would watch Turner classic movies to make sure anytime I was around him and I needed to change the subject. I had a relevant movie to talk about, probably with someone that he knew who was in it. And like it could totally change his bad moods and we could connect talking about the movies. You know, I'm going back and I'm watching like, you know, night to the iguana and you know anything <laughs> and so I ended up getting this whole education you know just to try to salvage any sort of sense of um, connection in this relationship that was so difficult in my life and I know a lot of us have that that's incredible I'm that so glad incredible. your mom is, is so awesome though with I should with also I should also mention, um, my producer extraordinaire who he's, you know, he made my first feature. He just did this second one. We have several other, the others that we're working on Danny Roth. I met Danny on an, on an acting movie that I was, I was offered, um, for lifetime called, uh, the captive nanny. And I played a villain who had by a uh, borderline personality disorder, Ooh, but, um, yeah. So I met him on that set and I just walked up to him and I was like, so I'm a writer too. You know, are you looking for any content? And he was like, yeah, what do you have? And I was like, oh, I mean a lot of stuff. And he was like, yeah, send me what you have. And so I sent him 18 concepts. A lot of them completed scripts because I had just been working, you know, nonstop. And Danny is such an incredible creative producer. He's, he's, one of the best problem solvers. I mean, the world could literally be burning down and Danny would be like, Oh, that no, it's fine. You know, I mean, he just, he's absolutely amazing. And, uh, he's also just, he's been such a valuable asset to, to know just as a human being, but especially as a producer. I love that. Those collaborations, um, the producers, they need us. They need the writers. They need the actors. They need the directors. They need the project. They need yeah. the awesome project. So they're often approachable. And that's, that's fantastic. You have that wonderful relationship in him where you guys have a shorthand. Yeah. He's, I mean, he gives the best notes too. And like, we just really, uh, you know, his ideas spur my ideas, my ideas spur his ideas. And I just, I love like, if I'm, if I'm able to, I mean, he's, he's constantly working. Like he's, he made 10 movies in nine months, um, last year, I mean, which is just insane. Cause I got him set up down in Florida with these incredible tax credits that they had going on down there. Um, but yeah, he just is, he's so phenomenal. And so when, like, when I can actually get him on the, on the phone and we can have like a notes call, I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is my favorite. Cause we just, we're so collaborative together. <laughs> I, I could talk to you all day. I just, I love you already. Um, Likewise, <laughs> I want to, we're having a, coffee. You've been <laughs> such a fantastic guest and so generous. Thank you so much with your stories and your time and um, just all the beautiful, everything that you shared. Uh, it's you. It, Everybody's got to go see the Dolphin Tale movies. They're on HBO Max right now, I think. Tell us all, uh, also, you know, where can they follow you, find you? What, what else uh, should they be watching on screen? that you uh, are doing or that's coming out soon? Um, So the plus one, which I co-wrote and also acted in, we just wrapped that down in Florida. I co-wrote it with uh, a guy named Brendan Bradley. Um, That is due out hopefully um, in theaters. If we, if we make it there uh, next year, early next year is is the goal. Um, So keep an eye out for that. That's with Ashanti and Cedric the Entertainer. Um, And then I don't have any other um, movies that will be coming out in the next little bit that I know about. Um, a bunch of, a bunch of them just aired on lifetime that I did, you know, I, you know, I die, I die and everything, but, uh, 
um, except for not, not, not the coffee that I do, but, um, you can follow me on Twitter at Austin Highsmith, uh, Instagram at I am oyster, which is a funny story, but, um, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm constantly uh, active on those two platforms. <laughs> Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Entertainment Business Wisdom. We invite you to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Please like, review, and share it with your friends and colleagues. Kaya Alexander can be reached on Twitter for your questions or comments at This Is Kaya. Get entertainment business career training as well as a free special report, How to Pitch Anything in One Minute, at www.entertainmentbusinessleague.com. Thank you.